the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour, well, as as regular listeners of the show know, I love old movies and uh, the golden age of Hollywood, and we have a chance to talk about something that became really kind of a phenomenon, a, uh, a brand of its own, if you will, the Busby Berkeley Musical, and uh, we're able to talk about that with uh, a writer about film uh, for various uh, periodicals and websites who has a new book called Buzz, The Life and Art of Busby Berkeley. I'm talking about uh, writer Jeffrey Spivak, who joins me by phone. Hi, Jeffrey. Welcome to the show. Uh, Hello there. Great to be with you. You know, I think a lot of people that, um, that pay any attention at all to show business, past, present, and future, would recognize the brand, Busby Berkeley Musical, but then would struggle to tell you the title of one. Why do you think that is? Uh, Because the films that made him famous really were directed by others. Uh, If you don't know the name Busby Berkeley, the name itself could connote the kind of work that he did. So if you say, do you know who he is? And they say, no, I've never heard of the man. I said, did you ever see those old musicals where the camera was up about 50 feet in the air, pointed (laughs) downwards, and about 100 chorus girls are in kaleidoscopic patterns? And they say, yeah, I remember those kind of films. Well, that's the kind of work he did, even if you didn't know the volatile creature that existed as Busby Berkeley. And and we've seen that that shot used in a lot of ways, um, choreography in pools. Absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's In the Heights uh, did a spoof that so many critics were calling the Busby Berkeley kind of shot, which took place at an outdoor pool. Yeah. See, I think that's um, what what was it about the busby berkeley the actual musicals now he he started on um on broadway but then went to film and that's true that's true he he got his start working with eddie Cantor, not at warner brothers but he kind of honed his specialty in musicals and then by the time his first musical at warner brothers which was 42nd street you know at that time in the early 30s people uh, we're really getting sick of musicals. <laughs> I mean, the you know, sound had come into pictures in 1927, and a lot of people were curious to see how their favorite stars would sound on screen. And there were plenty of musicals, most of them kind of, you know, not really interesting to look at. And so Busby Berkeley came along after the Eddie Cantor era, and he came to Warner Brothers, and they, they asked him to do the musical numbers for 42nd Street, but the idea was that if the musical numbers didn't go over, they could still keep the dramatic portion of the music of the film itself. So 42nd Street could have been a non-musical, straight drama. But once the head of the studio saw the work that Berkeley had done for 42nd Street, his work could not be denied. He was signed to a long-term contract, and in films such as Footlight Parade and the Gold Diggers pictures, he really made his name in Hollywood. Now, how does what what Busby Berkeley did with with choreography um, 
differ from chorus lines? That's a good question. Basically, he was not a choreographer, and he would have been the first one to tell you so. You know, in those days, every studio had a choreographer who taught the girls the steps, how to do this step and that step. Berkeley wasn't interested in that. So why were his films different? Why? Because he created them in the vision of his mind using only a single camera, which was really not done in those days. He would take his shot in his mind, get it exactly correct, rehearse like crazy, film the number, move his camera, get the next shot, et cetera, et cetera, and turn in almost a complete musical number to the editor who had nothing to do because Berkeley had put everything together. But there was nothing like him. There was nothing like his vision. And anytime somebody did something that looked similar to that, uh, they all said, oh, yeah, it was imitation Busby Berkeley. But the real thing existed at Warner Brothers during his heyday in the 1930s. And then he uh, left and went on to uh, MGM and made all those uh, Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney backyard musicals, uh, which were unlike his chorus girl musicals of the 30s. So he worked in many kind of genres and actually started directing his own films and did a couple of dramas and musicals as well. But he's most known for his uh, 1930s work at Warner Brothers. How did... um the big production musicals come about, not just in Hollywood, but but on Broadway as well. Was that something that had had evolved in theater for a long time, or was there a moment in time when somebody said, you know what, we need to get a whole bunch of people on stage and have them sing and dance? Uh, that would be left to Berkeley himself, who really got his start, and the big production numbers came from his Broadway years. You know, he served in the military, and he put his uh, soldiers through uh, all kind of marching drills. Many of them silent drills, where all the men would be marching in different directions and would all come together. And a lot of people said, aha, that's where Berkeley got his ideas for the big production numbers in his movies. But that isn't true. He was given free reign in musicals on Broadway, and he thought big. He thought big production numbers and gigantic props and not just a couple of people on stage singing to each other. No, he gets the whole cast on there or 25 to 50 chorus girls. So his production numbers, his Broadway numbers were big deals that led them into a film eventually. He never wanted to go into motion pictures. He would be happy staying on Broadway. He said, you know, they don't know how to make musicals out there in Hollywood. And he's referring to those musicals I mentioned in the late 20s and early 30s. They were kind of stiff and stodgy, but at least they showed what sound could be done in motion pictures. So Berkeley really had no interest in that. He uh, he was uh, toiling away uh, on Broadway and uh, achieved great success there. Were the were the theaters and the stages already big enough to accommodate that? Uh, they did. Yeah, he uh, you know he used the proscenium as his gateway uh, to his production numbers, and of course they're all thought up in advance and drawn out and storyboarded, which is what he did back even in Broadway. And, uh, you know, with the big kind of musicals, they were very, very successful for that kind of uh, extravagance on stage. And, uh, you know, like I said, his musicals were very, very popular and very well received. 
in writing the book, I went back to some of those original Broadway reviews and they were, you know, uh, they loved the kind of work he did and uh, give him, you know, gave him great kudos uh, for his Broadway numbers. Is there a separate Broadway library from the Hollywood library or did Berkeley remake things he did on Broadway when he got to Hollywood? They really were separate items uh, entirely. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court was uh, uh, filmed later, of course. Uh, it was Berkeley who did it originally on Broadway. But the rest of his Broadway output kind of stayed on Broadway. His musical numbers were, you know, strictly a, a new form of expression for Berkeley. And, of course, you know, his first film was Whoopi uh, in 1930 uh, with uh, Eddie Cantor, which was a big hit on Broadway. So, yeah, that did transfer to them. Uh, and because he worked on it on Broadway, he was brought into Hollywood for that. But that was really the exception, not the rule. Uh, his Hollywood output are really original musicals. Would that have been his introduction to Hollywood? It was. It was. Even when Whoopi came out and he went to Hollywood, and he decided he was going to film the numbers. He looked around the studio and couldn't make heads or tails. What are all those cameras <laughs> doing here? And they said, "Well, no, we shoot them. We shoot them with different cameras." And the editor, uh, you know, that's the way they do it. He says, very with with much braggart. He said, "No, that's not my technique. My technique is one camera, and that technique served him well from the '30s on to the 1950s. The same method of filming his numbers, a single camera." But one of the things that was being explored in in Hollywood in the early days, even more now, was you know different camera angles and shots and and working with shorter attention spans. Um, you know, in, in a Broadway theater, you sit down in front of the stage and you see what's presented in front of you. But you know, in Hollywood, you could, you know, in film, you could see it from the side, from the back, from above. Absolutely. Um, how was he able to put together scenes that were uh, appealing with one camera? Or, or did he literally... He was a visualist. If you saw his number by a waterfall, the, the great, great the waterfall number in Footlight Parade. And you saw it, and there are a lot of cuts in that musical number. It cuts to this shot, that shot. Again, all done single camera. He was the measure twice and drill once kind of director. He grilled his Corrines uh, into extensive rehearsal periods and then had it all storyboarded, did his shot, moved the camera, did his shot, moved the camera. It sounds very basic, but you put all those shots together, you have a great musical number, and nobody knows how it was done. And, of course, then didn't have any kind of special effects like you have today. So uh, he, it really was a manual process brought on by a visionary who thought uh, in shorter uh, bursts of, uh, of images and together, putting them together with a great song, because he had great music at Morgan Brothers, putting them together uh, yielded, uh, you know, the magnificent, the standard, what's known as the Busby Berkeley number. More about Busby Berkeley with writer Jeffrey Spivak straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Francis, Kelly, Caitlin, Lauren, and the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about Busby Berkeley with writer Jeffrey Spivak straight ahead. How would the music, the audio, um, shooting it that way, come out seamless? Ah, that, that's a good question. Sometimes, even back in those days, Berkeley worked with the full orchestra just off camera range. So, uh, in the in probably his most famous number, the Lullaby of Broadway. Uh, from the Gold Diggers of 1935. Uh, that's exactly what he had. And he had uh, maybe 200 dancers on the stage all coming in while the music was playing off camera and literally synced up to the sound. But in other cases, uh, yeah, the music was recorded first uh, and, you know, a- and put together uh, through Berkeley's editing. But, uh, you know, on several occasions, though, he did have live music on the set playing while he was filming his number. That just seems so labor-intensive by today's standards, you know. Um, oh, and, you know, imagine what, what Berkeley can do, you know, if he had, uh, you know, the kind of things that are available for filmmakers today. It's just amazing. And that's why he's uh, regarded as one of the greats, because he did so without all those uh, modern conveniences. Now, you... Um Jeffrey, you kind of indicated that that he was really a lot more about the vision, about what it was going to look like. Um, Yes. But did he involve himself with the people that were doing the choreography and writing and performing the music? Or did he just have people who did that and then it was his job to capture it on the camera? Oh, I'll tell you how uninterested he was in dance steps. Uh, (laughs) I have him quoted. I have him quoted by as saying, you know, people on the floor getting the girls working together and and rehearsing them. They would say, hey, Buzz, everyone called him Buzz. Hey, Buzz, do you want the girls to do this number or that step or this step or that step? He says, I don't care if they come in hanging off the ceiling. It's, It's what he wants to make a good shot. And that's where he was. He was. He was high up on that perch with his cameraman, and uh, they were setting up the shots. What the dancing actually was was meaningless because, uh, uh, as I say, Berkeley didn't know a buck and wing from a shuffle and riffle. He just didn't know steps, nor did he have to. Now, I'm saying he might have known a few from his years on Broadway and that kind of thing. But the point is, it didn't interest him, and it didn't make the number. And whatever dance steps they were doing, it was strictly because they were taught that way uh, from those people that every studio had in those days. The real choreographers. He said, don't call him a choreographer. He said that those kind of jobs existed with uh, Agnes DeMille, uh, and other people, you know, he said he didn't like that. He wanted to be known as a dance director. And that is the way I refer to him uh, early on in the book to, to get away from the fact. I know people to this day still refer to him as the great choreographer, but really choreographer is somebody who knows dance steps and teaches dance steps. And he, he didn't do either. But he did direct them. 
He yes, yeah, move in here, line up here, we're gonna go in a full circle here, we'll double back here, whatever, you know. Like I said, if you see the bio waterfall number, you know, there are shots under the water, shots you know, the the girls diving into the water. There's a, a set piece that looked like a giant wedding cake where the girls were spinning around on them. You know, those were all Berkeley kind of visual inventions. But uh, so again, he, it had nothing to do with dance steps. So he would storyboard these things um, yeah. and and then task the the choreographers and, and the, the composers and yeah. um, music directors to come up with stuff with ways of bringing those storyboards to life oh sure yeah they they would get together and he would say i want to do this this and this but again not mentioning the kind of dance steps he was interested in and uh uh there's a, a famous shot of him standing in front of a, a room full of uh, chorus girls and working on a blackboard and showing with arrows how everything was supposed to go and how they're going to move here and move there and, you know, he'd be nice to his girls, and they'd be all, you know, his chorines, his chorus girls, and uh, they all loved him, but he was a taskmaster, and, you know, he was uh, very uh, picky on how uh, the musical numbers were to be, but he realized he was under pressure from the heads of the studio to get his numbers uh, on budget and on time, and like I said, when it came to Busby Berkeley in the 30s, People may not remember the, the storyline of some of those musical numbers, but they sure remember the numbers themselves, which were often stacked one after the other in the last half hour of a movie. So although you'll see the opening credits, it'll say musical numbers uh, designed and directed by Busby Berkeley, you'd have to almost sit through the entire picture before they started kicking in. But once they did, it seemed like people forgot what the storyline was. <laughs> because these were films within themselves. They existed uh, autonomously from the, you know, they had, it wasn't like the two characters in the movie start singing a love song with each other. It didn't work. That's not how those musicals were made. These were not Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers musicals. Or, uh, these or were Hope and Crosby Road movies. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, fine in their own way, but they're not Busby Berkeley numbers. Right, right. Well, what about the costuming? Would that have been uh, important to well, him? <laughs> you know, in, in the uh, in the water number, uh, the bio waterfall number. Yeah, Berkeley specifically said, you know, we got. I don't think we can show those belly buttons, so yeah, they were kind of <laughs> hidden behind the costuming. So that might have been something that he uh, discussed uh, with the costuming department at Warner Brothers. Uh, but generally, uh, again, it's it was out of his purview, and it's something that I don't think he would remark on unless something, you know struck him that, I, you know, let's have them dressed up this way or that way, because he was often working with a group of people. Uh, uh, Shanghai Lil, of course, was kind of a military-based number, so he had people dressed up, you know, as sailors, uh, you know, in the, in those days. So, uh, but, yeah, it, it, I'm not surprised, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Busby Berkeley and the costuming department worked hand-in-hand hand or maybe took his suggestions, but I have nothing uh, in writing to... Uh, uh, to prove that uh, theorem, the would he have been the director for an entire film, or was he brought in to do these big numbers? Yeah, uh, he was uh, brought in to do the numbers, but eventually he said, "Hey, I want to direct a movie," and he was given the chance to. And so, uh, you know, one of his biggest of those 1930s pictures was uh, Gold Diggers of 1935. 
uh, in which uh, it has the lullaby of Broadway. So not only did he direct the entire film, but he did all the musical numbers as well. And the same thing in The Gang's All Here from the 1940s. Crazy, colorful, Busby Berkeley uh, unfurled. You know, doing not only the musical numbers, but the dialogue as every, you know, as well. Uh, he was a good director. He knew how to direct dramatic scenes as well. Uh, they Made Me a Criminal with John Garfield is a great dramatic film uh, from the 1930s that Berkeley directed. So he did have a, a good eye for direction, uh, not just in musical numbers, but in actual dramatic scenes. But I, I think you would chalk that up to just his, his, his vision, his eye for framing shots. That's it. You know, and, and of course, interestingly enough, in Berkeley's case, the films uh, that he directed, they were kind of musicals. Uh, interesting that the characters in the story all kind of spoke rather quickly. Uh, it, it wasn't accidental, especially in the gangs all here. You can see that it's almost as if let's get the dialogue out of the way so we can have these musical numbers. <laughs> let's hurry up and, and get and to the music. And it's not too far-fetched. Yeah, it's funny. not too far-fetched, and it is. it does exist, so you have to say, well, you know, I give credit to the director because there are no accidents in motion picture. What made you want to tackle this project, and, and how did you go about collecting the, the material and doing the research that went into this? Uh, well, first of all, uh, you mentioned that the book was being released uh, on November 30th, but that's the paperback edition. The hardcover was released about 10 years ago. Oh, so uh, okay. this is in honor of the 10th anniversary, it is the paperback edition. But how I got into it is uh, I had been writing about film uh, for a number of years and going to film festivals. And I live in the Chicago area, and just up to my north is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And a very prolific biographer by the name of Patrick McGilligan had read some of my reviews. And he was a consultant to a publisher, and he got in touch with me. He said, uh, I like your reviews, Jeff. Would you be interested in, in writing a title for a publisher that I consult with? And I said, well, sure, let me think of an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I, first of all, it's, if you're going to write about somebody, you want to write about somebody that you're interested in. You want to make sure that there's no biography about that person, because I didn't want to compete in the marketplace. And I came up with a few ideas, but eventually settled uh, with Busby Berkeley. When I had, uh, in my collection, I have a book that came out in the 1970s called The Busby Berkeley Book. And it was a nice coffee table book that came out, beautiful photographs, but it was certainly not a biography. And I'm thinking, well, let me do a little investigative work firsthand before I pitch my idea. And then I read about Busby Berkeley. You know, his mother was a great dramatic actress. He started off uh, in World War I, uh, made his way to Broadway in Hollywood, uh, married six times, uh, claimed he couldn't even remember all his wives' names, uh, got into a horrific automobile accident in the 1930s where people uh, were killed. He was on trial for that accident, uh, not for manslaughter, but he was on trial, in this case, for second-degree murder because the judge in the case just didn't like these Hollywood hotshots, thinking they're going to kill people on the road and get away with it. So he was on trial at the height of his fame, the height of his career in the mid-1930s, on trial for murder. And there's, you know, there's 
just so much more to the volatile life that he led, uh, you know, uh, attempted suicide, a resurgence on Broadway in the late 1960s with No No Nanette. They brought the name Busby Berkeley back again on Broadway. And around that time, you know, the term camp was uh, pretty popular. And uh, the midnight films in, in the late 60s and early 70s shown on college campuses were those old Busby Berkeley ones from the 30s that people just didn't remember. You know, there was no Turner Classic movies back in those days right. where they show a lot of his work. Now you can catch up on it. And, of course, they didn't have uh, DVDs or anything of Berkeley's work. So his films were the camp of, of the late 1960s. So that together with all the craziness of his life, plus the magnificent work he did as a dance director, uh, to me, it sounded like this is a guy that I could not only live with for a couple of years, uh, the length that it takes to write a good biography, but I can't wait to see everything he's done. And I had since have done that for the book. And there were things that you hadn't seen? Oh, plenty, plenty of films I hadn't seen. You know, I, I couldn't consider myself a Busby Berkeley aficionado when I first started looking. So I had to go through and try to find stuff that he had done, stuff for television in the 1950s, uh, police shows that were not, that had nothing to do with the look and style of Busby Berkeley, yet his name was associated with them. Uh, and 50s stuff, his work with Esther Williams I hadn't seen before. I'd seen a couple of the musical numbers in uh, you know, the documentary That's Entertainment that featured uh, a couple of uh, Esther Williams' Busby Berkeley numbers. But she loved working with Busby. They put their heads together with all her musical numbers, you know, her, her you know, backstage in the pool swimming numbers, uh, together with Berkeley, who obviously knew how to do a musical number or two. Uh, they made some great work on their own in the 1950s. So uh, it was a matter of catching up on the stuff I hadn't seen. You know, I wondered about that because a, a lot of, I, I would have to think a lot of the things that we see and a lot of the ways that Esther Williams was filmed and portrayed in films must have been inspired by Berkeley's vision. Well, they figured she makes movies in the swimming pool. That was her claim to fame in the late 40s and 50s. So here comes this guy who is, you know, kind of working, not working, you know, by the late 40s, early 50s. Uh, you know, nobody was really interested in Busby Berkeley pictures any longer. You know, Hollywood had changed. But Esther Williams was. And when they put them together, uh, it, it was a perfect pairing because Berkeley then had great ideas for her musical numbers. She loved the idea for her musical numbers. And, you know, she almost broke her neck because of Busby Berkeley. <laughs> In one of her numbers, she was supposed to jump off a very, very high perch into, uh, into, the, uh, into the water below. And she was way high up, wearing a very heavy uh, crown on her head, very heavy. And she realized as she was diving, as she was going to hit the water, that somehow the heaviness of the crown snapped her neck when she hit the water. And uh, it took some time for her to recover, but it could have been a lot worse for her. She could have wound up you know, possibly crippled or, or worse. Uh, and so, you know, in spite of that, uh, together, both the Berkeley and Esther Williams uh, made a great contribution to cinema. But she was a little leery of the guy, and he was known to have a cocktail or two uh, when, when devising some of his numbers.
<laughs> so safety wasn't his first consideration. Time and money were his considerations. Get it in on time. Please the studio heads. Keep on working. He wasn't one of those that, you know, hey, we just got to give Berkeley, uh, you know, a few more hundred thousand dollars to complete this number. No, 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 no. It's because he was under those pressures or he put himself under those pressures that he made life hell for many of his stars on those musicals. Oh, that's amazing. The book is uh, called Buzz, The Life and Art of Busby Berkeley by Jeffrey Spivak. Um, Jeffrey, as as we get close to the end of our time, um, I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, but about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website? Uh, I don't. I mean, I do, but it's a pretty uh, 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 solid, not a dynamic website with just a picture of, uh, picture of the book itself. Uh, I stand behind uh, my work uh, maybe one step back. Uh, the book itself was put together by the University Press of Kentucky, who really create beautiful editions of their work. Uh, the hardcover has a beautiful dust jacket with a cover photo that I selected, and the paperback is uh, equally uh, uh, worthy of a, of a collector's uh, shelf uh, in that it has some new, new uh, uh, forward by myself uh, along with the book. And the book itself reads, uh, from what I've read from some of the reviews, because the reviews have been phenomenal, uh, from the press on the book when it came out, uh, is that it has none of those kind of things like foreshadowing, telling you things that are going to happen before they do. I hate all that kind of stuff in a biography. <laughs> and it doesn't have footnotes on every page that also distracts you from reading. His life unfolds as life itself does, and anything surprising that happens to Berkeley surprises the reader as well i don't say oh by the way in two years he's going to get a contract to warner brothers that's going to change his life no 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 it kind of works out uh, he finds out he's getting a contract when the uh the reader finds out so that's what i wanted to do and that kind of kept that uh throughout the entire book and plus there are really detailed chapter notes that get into the kind of stuff that i didn't want to interrupt the narrative for so it's a very complete book, and like I said, I let the reviews speak for themselves. Uh, as a writer, it, uh, you know, this is my second book. The first book was unrelated to motion pictures whatsoever. Uh, so this is the one I'm, I'm standing behind, and this is the one I'm telling people about. Well, what's next for you, Jeffrey? Well, I tell you, I was thinking of uh, you know, another biography about a celebrity that doesn't have one. And at, uh, oh, maybe about two years ago, I came up with Lee Marvin the great actor, yeah. Lee Marvin. And uh, as I was putting it together as okay. a writer, uh, I found out from my publisher that, by the way, Jeff, uh, Lee Marvin biography is coming out in a couple of weeks. Oh, <laughs> so no. It's one of those things that, oh, really? And then the book really did come out from another author, a biography of Lee Marvin. So for right now, I'm, uh, I'm uh, relaxing uh, on my Busby Berkeley laurels and pushing the book uh, with everything and uh, like I said, the reviews and the reception to the book have been tremendous. And, and I was I was going to joke that uh, Lee Marvin, of course, uh, known for his role in Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go to a musical number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but believe it or not, 
his song in that film, I Was Born uh, Under a Wandering Star, was a hit back in the 60s. So go figure. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Yeah. It's like some of the... Even Gravely Lee Marvin with that voice of his. But uh, he was an interesting character in his own right. And uh, and I'm, I'm just sorry I never got to uh, to write his story. How, how did they miss him when they did Guys and Dolls? <laughs> <laughs> or, or singing the national anthem at yeah, a sporting event. There you Where, go. Yeah, that kind of voice. But Lee was something else, though. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for spending time to talk about uh, Busby Berkeley with me and the listeners. And, uh, um, you know, enjoy your uh, enjoy your laurels, and and hopefully uh, you'll come up with another Lee Marvin idea. That was very nice talking with you, and uh, you know, for anyone who loves the great old Hollywood and really wants to read about somebody they didn't know about, uh, the story of Busby Berkeley's life is really fascinating. Well, thanks again, Jeffrey. Take care. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye now. That was uh, Jeffrey Spivak. He writes about film for periodicals and websites, but uh, we were talking about the release in paperback of his book, Buzz, The Life and Art of Busby Berkeley. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Jing, Jingle bells ring and jingle bells ring. Slowing and blowing and bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells chime in jingle bell time. Dancing and prancing in jingle bell square. In the frosty air. What a bright time, it's the right time to rock the night away. Jingle bell time is a swell time to go riding in a one-horse sleigh. Giddy up, jingle bells, pick up your feet, jingle around the clock. Mix and a mingle and a jingle and beat. That's a jingle bell rock. What a right time! It's the right time to rock the night away. Hey, jingle bell time is a swell time to go to go riding in a one-horse sleigh. Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet, jingle around the clock. Mix and a mingle and a jingle and beat, cause that's a jingle bell rock. That's a jingle bell, that's a jingle bell, that's a jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Everybody's doing the jingle bell rock. Hey! This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. 
and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. 
Delfina, Tamaya, Sammy, Lauren, Maya, Raya, Riley, Ella, Gabby, Emma, Alyssa, and the Tom Sumner Program. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start If you get bored just think of the immunocompromised Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised Oh super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus If we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine the last until July A super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable Contagious, awful virus Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus We wish you a Merry Christmas We wish you a Merry Christmas We wish you a Merry Christmas And a Happy New Year Good tidings to you wherever you are Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program this Friday edition I want to say thanks to all the guests that were with me today um, author of Buzz the life and art of Busby Berkeley author uh, Jeffrey Spivak before that talking about the Fowl twins with Owen Colfer and we started out today with uh, some financial uh, topics with um, Brokers International CEO Mark Williams. Anyway, that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room for the weekend. But uh, I'll be back Monday morning with another edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for spending some time with me. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.